Hello, and welcome to Molly Movie Club. I'm Anna Repberg. And I'm Casey Muratori. And today, we're watching The Terminator. We already watched it, though. Oh, well, okay. We're discussing it, but we've already watched it. (sighs) We're not watching it. Today, we're talking about The Terminator. That's right. Which is a great film. Yes. James Cameron. Yes. Back when he made good movies. (laughs) I wasn't going to say anything. I was. Uh, yeah, Terminator. I love this movie. It's probably one of my faves. Yep. You do love this movie. Actually, you like this movie more than I do. I actually... Well, it's funny. I saw this for the first time like a year ago. Like, it wasn't yeah. that long ago. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit. This you is were real. unfamiliar with... So, for some reason, and I don't know what this reason was, you, like, thought that James Cameron mostly made, like, avatars, what you had seen or something. Well, the first you hadn't time... seen Titanic. Yeah. You hadn't seen Terminator or Terminator 2. You still haven't seen The Abyss. You didn't see True Lies. So you don't know. Uh, you you saw Aliens, I guess. So you, you had seen and I that. Think I, I may have seen <laughs> a, The Abyss when I was, like, a kid, but okay. I don't remember it. All right. Uh, yeah. So I I didn't really know much about James Cameron. And when I saw this movie, I was like, holy crap. Yeah. This is really impressive. Yeah, it is. Uh, I think it also, for me, just hits on a few, like, tropey kind of things that I just really enjoy. I love time travel. Like, I wasn't expecting this movie to have, like, a like a romance in it. Yeah. I like, feel like this is this movie is one where things which... So things which maybe don't land quite as well for the average audience land really well with you. Like the romance in this particular film isn't done that well, if I'm no, completely no, no. honest. It's really, it's but not... it happens to be like it, right in Anna Repberg's wheelhouse. So I feel like well, for I you, like, it's still I getting like those the, things done. I like a like time travel time romance, loop romance, time yeah. loop romance thing, yeah. which is not something that's ever really a thing. Like it's not. Well, this is why, for example, I assume that Outlander doesn't quite land Outland for you. Yeah, yeah. Is because they forgot, like, the robots and stuff. They're like, it can't just be time travel back to the past, because that, like, like to, to the ancient past with nothing but just people. That's just not going to cut it. It has to be, like, robots and guns and crap. Then it's like... And, then it's and, like, yeah, sci-fi. Yeah. Then it's my wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh so there's that. I mean, I think this is a thing that James Cameron actually does really well. And in in many of his movies, like this is what when I saw Titanic, this is what I thought. I'm like, this movie has everything like. Right. And Terminator's Terminator's this very similar where it's like it's got action. It's got borderline like horror elements. It's suspenseful. It's got romance. It's got a love story. Yeah. Um, it's got this really epic feeling. Uh and I feel like James Cameron actually manages to do that really well. I think a lot of times movies will try to include a little bit of everything and they kind of just don't do anything well. But he manages to actually do everything and kind of pull it off. At least in the past he has. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really impressive. Um, I also think like something that Terminator does uniquely well is the development of like a heroic character like Sarah Connor is pretty impressively well done. I would say that that's probably the very strongest element of this movie uh to to my watching is that like w- one of the things that ha- no longer is really able to be done in Hollywood as far as I can tell like they just don't know how to do it 
is to take a character who is not yet heroic and make them heroic by the end of the movie. In a way that's totally plausible. Like, um, it feels so natural. Oh, I'm not saying they don't try to do it. I'm just saying they don't know how anymore. Like I said, in the old days, they sort of knew this. I mean, Star Wars is that movie. Terminator is that movie. And they really, I mean, freaking Home Alone is that movie, right? Like, in a weird way. So they 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 just kind of understood the idea that the main character could start out average. And that's one of those things that I think really made those movies work. And for whatever reason, I mean, even Back to the Future with George McFly, like, Mm -hmm. you know, he's not the main character, but it's like they just kind of understood that there should be people in a movie who are just normal people and they get something heroic to do by the end of the film or whatever. And that's kind of like a really fun thing to watch and it's one of the biggest draws of 80 movies in 80s movies in a lot of ways i want to say goonies was probably that way too but i just can't remember it but there's just so many examples of them doing that and i don't know it to me that never wore out like i didn't feel like we really needed to move on from that i feel like that was that's a good thing it's it's fun to watch it's more relatable superheroes aren't that relatable uh to me the best superhero movies are the origin stories like for me that's, I also find those to be fairly I'm just saying, I think that yeah. was like, you know, the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie where Peter Parker, like, is just this nerdy dude and gets his powers and learns to use them. Like, it's hitting on that thing that I think we all connect with. It's like, it makes it feel so much more plausible and relatable. It's also just, like, exciting to watch a person... I don't think it is. I, I would part ways with you there. Like, I don't find those things very interesting. And the reason is because... It has nothing to do with, like, human psychology or effort or any of those things, right? It's just like, oh, you got bit by a spider or whatever, right? And so I I just don't find those to be very interesting in the same way because they just – they're basically not showing the interesting part. You know what I mean? Like, the interesting part of these movies in, – in some ways, too, I would say, like, it's one of the reasons Star Wars was a lot stronger without the Vader is your father stuff that happens later, which is fine because it happens in a later movie, so you're not thinking about it at the time if you don't know. But, like, just the idea that, like, this was a person who just wanted to be in touch with the Force or not, like, and it was like – are you going to like be able to do this thing or not that in theory everyone could do in a way, right? That was like a much more interesting way. It makes the ending of that movie really interesting it, it, because the entire movie is a sort of about this, like, is this person really going to get serious about this or not kind of a thing. So I don't know. And so in this movie, you know, I would just say it's just so much better than a superhero movie because it's just a waitress. Mm-hmm. Right? She's just a waitress. But I mean, and- she is told, hey, you're really important. Like, your son basically saves the world and you trained him to be that way. That's sort of a, like a, a little bit superhero-y. It's like finding out something about yourself that doesn't sound like you to you. But you know? it doesn't, but that's just what some anyone could have anything like that happen in real life, right? Like, in other words, someone could tell you, like, you're really important to this, you know, like, we really need you. And that could make you decide to try harder, right? It's There's no difference between those things. We really need you for the war effort, and we really need you for the war effort in 50 years are not different things to tell someone in reality. They're basically the same thing. So there's nothing supernatural going on here, right? It's just, it's just someone getting more serious. And I guess I just... I- 
not like it matters and not like it's super relevant to this conversation. But I would say I think I disagree a little bit. Like I think superhero origin stories can have that. I think they usually don't. But I think they can. Anyway. Yeah, I just haven't seen any really interesting ones, I guess. I mean, the first X-Men movie maybe was sort of along those lines. Uh, And I would say that uh, for superheroes, Batman is always the best for that because he doesn't have any superpowers. So it's just like sometimes treatments of Batman can be more like that because they're just normal people. Like, in theory, if you play Batman straight, then Batman and the Joker and Catwoman and whatever are just people, right? And to me, that's a lot more interesting. Things where it's like, I don't know, they have x-ray vision. I'm just like, I just, I'm totally uninterested in that, right? And so mostly, I think this movie uh, avoids all of that. Mm-hmm. By having it just be a normal person who just is put in a circumstance that's very uh, challenging and sort of rises to the occasion, which we could very well believe is what also prepares her to teach her son to do the same in the future, right? So it's kind of like a nice little time loop. Well, it's like by the time you have that last scene with her driving yeah. off, it's like totally, you totally believe that she is now that person. Right. And that's, and it's so different than who she was at the beginning. And that's just really cool. It's so well done. Yeah, she's just freaking out in the beginning of the movie, Which right? Which is what any of us would actually be doing. Which is what we'd be doing. And then by the end of the movie, she's like yelling at Kyle Reese to keep moving, right? And mm-hmm. she's like, you know, uh, strategizing about how she's going to get away from this Terminator and, and mm-hmm. destroy it and whatever. And, well, and at the end of the day, she is the one who destroys it and saves herself. She has to finish the job. Yeah, like, um, you know... It's kind of this transition from Kyle Reese sort of doing everything. Right, he has to do everything at the beginning. And now and then by the end she finishes the job. Yep. And that's it's such a it's such a nice progression and it's done so yes. naturally and it's just like there's so much about this movie that's like so perfectly executed. I mean, you think about like the budget of this movie. I don't know what it was, right, but it was really low. Yeah, I mean it's it's a quite low budget movie for what you got. I think if you you could probably grab another movie with this budget directed by someone else and you would be like shocked at how different like they the, look and what they yeah, were able to accomplish, right? Because I mean, uh, this that's typical James Cameron. This movie, yeah, it manages to feel epic. The scope of it, like the scenes that are shot in the future, are so well done. They actually are for what they had to work with. It's incredible, well and it was done, so yeah. smart because it's like with what they had with what he had to work with, he made it feel just perfect it's mostly dark so you're seeing these like spotlight things you're you there's these you know like the flying ship and this other sort of like rolling thing that are that look really good like the the designs for those are really really good yeah but that's really all they've got right and they're just using that stuff really strategically well you can sort of see like you know you can see a bunch of places where they just couldn't do anything good enough for what they wanted the like part where Aaron Schwarzenegger takes out his eye you know, it yes, looks really yes. lousy. The Terminator moving when, like, for example, coming at them when they close the door because mm-hmm. it had to be stop motion. Some of those stop motion shots work better than others, I would say. I think it's the ones that aren't stop motion that work because yeah, they could the, do it with just like an armature off camera kind of a thing. Because yeah, the design of that metal sort of skeleton is so good and so iconic. And the close ups of the actual one they built look really, really good. I assume that's like... 
the I assume that's James Cameron again. Like, I don't know. He tends to be the guy who sketches all the stuff, but I don't know. Sometimes he does I know he said that he came up with the idea for Terminator, like, in a dream. Like, he, okay. he had a dream about the, like, metal... The metal thing? ...guy. Yeah, that's what he says. But I don't know, yeah, at the end of the day, who specifically designed it. Because sometimes he doesn't, like, because, you know, Aliens, for example, was already the previous film had done, like, the H.R. Geiger stuff. So, you know, he's working off of that. I assume in this one, though, it was just because he's a very good graphic artist. Yeah. James Cameron Well, he said he had a dream about this, like, metal man with the red eyes and stuff. So it's like... He probably drew it and said, make me one of these, right? Exactly. To somebody. Uh, And it's great. It's iconic. And it's genuinely frightening. So, uh, yeah, I would say you can see a bunch of places where the rough edges are showing in, in the film. And I think, like, you know, basically what you can see there is, like, that's probably what the whole movie should have looked like. Because that's basically the money that they had. Mm-hmm. But like actually most of the movie just doesn't. You never notice that in 90% of this film it's just done really well. Even in places where you can sort of see that like they didn't really have what they needed. Like there's places where it probably would have been much more logical to show Arnold Schwarzenegger pulling the trigger and like a gun muzzle flare and the guy at the... um gun shop for example flying back into the thing mm-hmm. they probably just didn't have the money to do those so they used like an insert shot of just a smoking gun there or whatever to try and you know mm-hmm. they cover them their tracks pretty well you can feel it it's like it's like okay this probably could have used some more money here but you know i mean for what they managed to pull off i think any analysis of budget in the exact same way that aliens yeah. you can look at you know one of his other movies around this time period i believe which is aliens uh aliens looks amazing for its budget i mean it's just insane right they look like movies that you know rate adjusted should have had 120 million dollar budgets or something uh aliens especially just like how did you do this for what you know i think rate adjusted would be like 30 40 million or something almost nothing i just love that because for me you can feel that creativity and sort of the passion you can and I, to me, that feels better than any high budget movie that looks super slick. It does because because you know they got they get the most out of everything. You know, there's there's no just like what well, everything filler, is right? so intentional. Yes. and because it had they had to think it through yes. because they had to think like how are we going to do this? Yeah, and that level of like paying attention to everything and being intentional feels it makes it feel like this passion project that i feel a lot when i watch terminator right yeah like it's this handcrafted thing um and yeah there's like some rough edges but that's part of it and i really like that um not everything is like smooth and perfect i also think just the the way that the storytelling kind of rolls out is so good uh seeing this for the first time like a lot of people listening may have seen this movie for the first time like years and years ago when they were kids and you kind of forget but like to see this movie for the first time it grabs you and it just sucks you in from the start, right? It's like you see this man appear and he's naked and yeah. it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's this like huge yeah. hulking guy. Yeah. And it's like, what the heck is going on? And and then another guy appears and it's like... like Your clothes, give them to me. And it, right? It's like the movie is not explaining anything. It's not just like, so here's a Terminator, and the, right? It's just like you want to know what the heck is going on. And it, it unrolls it all for you so like perfectly it kind of it holds on to stuff for a really long time before kind of revealing it so i would say that both blade runner and this movie are kind of good examples of the difference in how this kind of storytelling is done then versus now so in these movies they both have opening title cards 
And the opening title cards are completely irrelevant. You can just delete them. They don't really have any content that's relevant to the story at all. They're literally meaningless. I don't actually know why they're there, right? In modern things, they both would open with a two-minute voiceover that's like, in the future, the war was almost being won. The machine, sensing that they had lost, in a last-ditch effort, sent a cyborg back through a portal. And in that two-minute thing, we would already have seen everything. We would All have seen. Stuff would we be would said. have seen what the metal terminators look that's like. Right. All of the stuff that ends up that's being right. a thrilling reveal. Exactly. Like when you see the metal terminator skeleton for the first time, it's like holy crap! Like it's this yes. great moment. And like movies today, stories in, in general today, I think a lot of times. Writers struggle to understand that, like, that is the most important part of storytelling. It's like when holding back stuff, like, when do you reveal things to the audience? Like, I that's would say it's so important. I would say it more negatively than that. I would say that actually what's happening is not just that they don't understand that because they definitely don't. But I would actually say that the problem is that they don't know how to write that anyway. So what happens is they write a script in their head, they know the stuff that has to be said in the opening thing because they made the story. Mm-hmm. They have no idea how to include that information in the story. They have no idea how they would do that. So what ends up happening is they write the screenplay. They show it to a test audience. The test audience is like, I have no idea what's going on in this thing. In their head, that's like, oh, the audience doesn't understand it. We need to make it so. No, that's not the problem. Mm-hmm. The problem is your screenplay sucks, right? Yeah. And so these screenplays are strong, right? And you look at something like Terminator, and it's like it it puts all the pieces together for you slowly over time, and it makes this great thing that you're constantly engrossing because you want to know every little extra bit of information as it gets doled out. You're like, oh, that's why he did this, or that's what's going on here, right? Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, that's awesome. And so the reason these things don't need the two-minute opening is because there's they didn't have that problem, right? Yeah. Um, and Terminator is a classic example of that. It's because, you know, Blade Runner is a much more acquired taste. So, you know, whatever. But uh, but Terminator is one of those ones where it's like, no, it's super, super perfect storytelling. Right. Yes. Um, and, you know, even Star Wars, I guess what I would include in this also has an opening crawl. You could just get rid of it. You don't need it. Mm-hmm. Uh, ap- apologies to Brian De Palma, uh, who apparently thought you did. But, you know. <laughs> I remember we we saw that documentary, remember, where he, like, it, w- there wasn't an opening crawl, and the reason there's an opening crawl is because Brian DePaul was like, I don't understand what's going on in this movie, and I'm like, <laughs> what the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> like, how do you not understand? Because as a child, anyway, I didn't even read the opening crawl. I guarantee you, you can tell what's going on in Star Wars without the opening crawl, because I didn't read it. As I've said before, I, mean, I, only, I didn't even really listen to the dialogue yeah. when I was a kid, and I understood what was going on in Star Wars. So, so. I don't know what's wrong with Brian De Palma. But anyway, uh, you know, glad he said that, because that thing is just fun looking. Well, I think, right? I think it sets the tone well. Fundamentally, so, you know. it's like a combination of skill from the writers, but also trust in the audience. Well, uh, and I do think opening cards or opening voiceovers can be interesting. It's just they shouldn't tell the story. And in these cases, they don't. They no. just are setting. They're just like, hey, in the distant future, there's like some stuff that happens. But And I don't think I, I don't necessarily have a problem with it in this case either because you get it gives you just this tiny glimpse of the future world, uh, which might might help this, like put the story in some context. Like, hey, you're it. You're you, this movie you're about to watch is a science fiction film. Like just giving yeah, yeah, you yeah. a little bit of like a heads up and getting you in the right headspace. 
I think that's totally fine um, yeah. because, you know, the movie basically starts out in, in both the vast, vast majority of it is set in modern, quote unquote, you know, 1985 world. Yeah. And so I think I think kind of contextualizing it as a sci fi movie is is not a bad idea. Um, which is what that first, like, yeah, just that little text. Yeah, it's like does. I said, it's fine because it doesn't give anything away. Like, it doesn't say anything important. Um, just right. like the Blade Runner one doesn't. Yeah. Just like the Star Wars one doesn't. Mm-hmm. It just says some stuff to make you feel like something important is happening. Yeah. But none of the information in it is actually stuff that you, that changes what you're viewing like yeah. it doesn't spoil or anything it doesn't give you any really any context that you wouldn't have already gotten anyway it mm-hmm. just kind of makes it feel a little bit more epic and so like i said those are fine mm-hmm. i still don't know whether i would put them in or not i mean it's hard to say but they they're totally fine because they don't ruin things like the modern openings do and either way in this movie you know you kind of get this thing where they also uh, I really liked what they did with the juxtaposition right off the bat, too, of, like, modern machines versus the old machines. Yeah, they do this throughout the entire film. There's there's this great back and forth between, like, showing you the connection between our modern technology and that future technology. Yeah, like, they have a lot of, like, there's forklift in the opening scene, and it's very, like, viscerally, like, coming down and putting something into a... You know, slotting it's the forklift into a thing. Yeah, it's, well, a du- it's a dump truck. Well, it's a garbage garbage truck. Yeah, I'm oh, sorry, opening, garbage the truck. Open, yes. it's a go- the opening scene is a garbage truck. But then there's that scene where Kyle Reese kind of drifts off in the car. Yeah, the drills are there, and and it's like an extra construction site. Yeah. And you know, he sees that dream sort of about his world and all the similar machinery. And I mean, I think one of the the best examples too is the very last scene. Which takes place in like an automated factory, yeah. which is this commentary almost, or like this automation is what leads to right, like the end. The end result is this automated future, this bad future, right, of automation, uh, which I thought was pretty smart. It, that's just throughout the whole movie. It's like it feels like this clear understanding of who the villain of this movie is and how he connects to our current day. You can see during this time period that everyone had the same idea in a way, right? So I'm not 100% sure why. I guess just because computers were sort of coming of age in the 70s uh, and early 80s. Yeah, I think technology, but, technology was moving really fast at the time. But like War Games is the same movie. I mean, they're completely different, but same exact idea. It's that... You're going to hook up nuclear weapons at some point to a computer, and then the computer's going to launch them. That's mm-hmm. the th- that's the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Terminator's a way better film. It's a way more interesting story to write about that, but they're both based on that exact same concept. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are many such things based on this concept, uh, you know. And I assume that this was partly because the people who were... At that age now, so James Cameron is of the demographic who would have done the duck and cover drills. And so and like he would have been in that demographic. So there was just a whole bunch of nuclear war stuff being made by these people who had been really traumatized as 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 children in a, in you know, a way that we don't understand because we we kind of lived mostly in the era where the Cold War was winding down and or over. 
Mm-hmm. And so the kinds of things that people were thinking about, like in the same way that people might be scared of things like terrorism or something like that, mm-hmm. if they watched, you know, a bunch of stuff in the 90s or the late or the early, you know, 2000s or something, where you just kind of over index on this thing, nuclear war was that for them. They were just always, re- you know, reminded yeah. of it. Yeah. And so, you know, this movie is basically James Cameron's sort of thing about that. Weirdly, he goes from here to eventually with Avatar, uh, it's not the machines anymore. It's the humans that are bad, not the machines that are bad. And uh, so I'm not sure how that happened. He's pretty optimistic about humans in this movie, I would say. Humans are portrayed very well in this film. And then by the time you get to Avatar, humans are just horrible people uh, that everyone should hate. And I don't know how he switched that uh, thinking in his head. He clearly did because, you know, I'll be honest, these movies aren't subtle. Um, no, they're James, not complicated. James Cameron you know? is not a subtle He's man. He's not like a subtle artiste, right? He doesn't... No. Uh, and I don't necessarily have a problem with that. Uh, no. But... When you're making blockbusters, you don't have to be subtle. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, nothing about Terminator is subtle. No. And I'm fine with it. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I think... Who knows? Who knows what goes on in the mind of James Cameron? But Terminator just works really well. It manages to create this sort of post-apocalyptic future and then this time loop. It all feels so expansive and epic in this really nice way for how small a movie it is. Yeah, I mean, a lot of shots are like there's only like two or three people on the screen, mm-hmm. right? And and yet it feels really big. I think you this know, movie, I was actually thinking, this movie actually has like a bit of a Spielberg vibe in the way it's shot. Like the camera is like really active in this movie. It is. James Cameron always moves the camera a lot and it helps. I think he's not, he's definitely not as good at, at directing coherent action as Spielberg. But I mean, is anyone? Yeah, no one is. I I really do think Steven Spielberg may just be like the greatest action director of all time and you can't really top him. I mean, maybe you can. I don't know. I think it's probably. But it's unlikely. But I I think James Cameron, there's there's a lot of that Spielberg energy in this movie um, where he's he's got these dynamic shots, lots of things happening. Um, The camera's always in an interesting place looking at things from an interesting perspective. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, it helps really enhance things because a lot of shots that wouldn't be all that interesting, like, for example, even at the end of the movie, she's pulling into this garage to get gas. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, it's not a garage. I mean, a gas station, I yeah. should say. And, you know, they start, like, behind the pump and they pull around as the car. So the car is moving at the same time the camera's moving, so you get this really nice, like, angular change, and it just, like, the car pulls up and the camera slows to a stop. It makes a scene that would otherwise be pretty boring feel very engaging. I notice it the most in some of the early scenes where Arnold is just, like, driving around this, like, yeah. these neighborhoods looking for Sarah Connor. Yeah. These are potentially very mundane scenes. Yes. Like, when, you know, it starts on this shot of this toy truck in the road, and then the tire comes in and crushes it. Just like you didn't have to do that, right? Yeah. But like he choose he's choosing to to show things from an interesting perspective. Well, even that in that scene too, there's like a little girl riding like a big wheel or whatever. Yeah. To to have something else moving, right? It's it's to have things on the screen that are doing something so that you have you you've got, you know, a, a feeling in the shot. Like there's actual mm-hmm. like activity and something interesting moving 
at all times. It does help. Yeah. And uh, that's really skillfully done stuff. It is. I would say that uh, the the nightclub scene is really good. That whole sequence yeah, where she that's like great. she leaves the uh, the bar or whatever. She goes to the nightclub. She's getting pizza. She's getting pizza. She goes to the nightclub, right? And uh, she, you've got all these people moving around, and you don't know exactly where Arnold is. You don't know where Reese went. That whole sequence works brilliantly, especially because up until that point, the first time viewer doesn't really know what these two people exactly are doing. You don't it knows know that yeah. Arnold is the killer, but you don't know who Reese is. Because you think Reese could be another one of these guys, potentially, right? You have right? no you idea because no they both came from the same place um, and they haven't really been doing particularly different things. So yeah, because we see Reese do some <clears throat> questionable stuff at the beginning, right? He he steals he steals a cop's gun. He like takes some some pants from a homeless guy. Yep. He's like sawing off the shotgun, yeah. right? Like, what's his plan exactly? We don't know. And even having seen the movie and knowing what happens, that that scene is so suspenseful and it's so well done. Like when she's sitting at the table yes. and she knocks off the the Pepsi bottle or whatever, and she reaches down to get it. And that's the coordination of all that where, where Arnold like walks by in slow motion. It's so good. I would also add that, uh, you know, something that I don't think you would say about Arnold Schwarzenegger in basically anything you can say about him in this movie, which is that his performance is excellent. Yeah. So he really like seems to have taken some time to, try to make sure that in each shot he was moving very mechanically. And, like, I mean, I'm sure this was partly directing, too, like someone telling him, you know, James Cameron being like, you know, try to do very staccato motions. In that scene, you can really see it, too. Like, every time he moves to, like, shoot his gun, it's very much like a like a robotic motion. Like, it moves quickly to a position and stops. Quickly mm-hmm. to a position and stops. Yeah, right? it's like, it's not human. It it's, doesn't yeah. look that much like a human. And, you know, I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger is not exactly lauded for his acting skills. In this movie, he's actually doing an excellent job acting like a robot. And, you know, that's more than just saying, like, oh, the lines are stilted or something. It's like, no, I mean, like, physically, mm-hmm. it's hard to remember to move in this unusual way that humans don't move. And I thought he did a really nice job of that. In a lot of scenes, it really does feel like he's looking on kind of like a swivel. He's mm-hmm. moving his arms to fixed positions. He's walking very continuously with very little emotion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you watch Arnold Schwarzenegger just walk down the street normally, it doesn't look like it. He looks like a human, right? He doesn't... It's not just like he's not acting. He <laughs> is acting. He looks uh, yeah. like we do. He doesn't, you know... He says his lines maybe well, like a robot. Let's be honest. But he doesn't look like we do. He doesn't look like we do. He <laughs> looks like a normal person in terms of his behavior. His movement. He's yeah. a relaxed person. He doesn't he doesn't look stilted, right? So that's all acting. He had to do that mm-hmm. for this role. He's not someone who normally for some reason looks very awkward, right? Mm-hmm. Um he looks very relaxed. And so I think that that was pretty cool too that like this is one of the movies you could actually say Arnold does a great job acting. In this movie. Yeah, yeah. And I also think he can, you know, a large part of this movie's success actually is due to Arnold. The casting, not just the performance, but the choice. The casting, like, it's hard to find a person who looks as intimidating as Arnold Schwarzenegger, just physically. And it makes the Terminator seem so much more unstoppable. Mm -hmm. You, You literally are like, I have no idea how we stop this guy. And... It's it's this sort of innate thing where even if he weren't a robot, even if he were just a guy, just a man, you would be like, I don't know how I stop him. 
And I think that is really important, that feeling. Um, it makes him feel so much more intimidating and frightening. Well, yeah, and you can see that in the nightclub scene, too, yeah. how much bigger he is than everyone else. Because mm-hmm. in a lot of scenes you can't tell, uh, but, you know, in early on they mm-hmm. established that pretty well. Yeah. I would say, like, the other thing that I would really laud this movie for, again, just in terms of things that they just don't do anymore that make this movie so much more interesting, in my opinion, is that everybody has a reason to be where they are in this movie at all times. And movies nowadays don't care about that at all. It's just like if Doctor Strange is supposed to show up now, then he just does. And we have no idea how he got here or why. Mm -hmm. Right. Um. But in this movie, the uh, and I, I I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast before. We may have. It's hard for me to remember sometimes because we did practice podcasts before. And I don't remember whether I talked about them there or on the podcast <laughs> proper. I know I've talked about it, though, which is that Alfred Hitchcock, even whose movies I have never really liked, said something which I thought was very, very smart. And 100% aligns with my preference in movies. Mm -hmm. So he obviously understood this, uh, even if I don't find that his movies actually work particularly well. (laughs) He said that villains should have their own stories. And not that doesn't mean backstory, like, you know, where did Thanos come from? Right. But it means that they should actually be going through their own journey and have their own obstacles in the story. Mm-hmm. And amusingly, one of the one times that anything interesting ever happened in superhero movies in modern era is when they did that with Thanos. They were like, oh, the villain actually has like obstacles and like difficult decisions to make mm-hmm. and goals. Yeah, and it turns stuff. out people really liked that. Turns out people really liked that. That's just Alfred Hitchcock. He he credited somebody with it. I, I wish I could remember he said he said I think he said something like someone once told me X and it was true, or what, I don't really remember, but something like that. Ancient filmmaking wisdom, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's really true. In this movie, you can see just how well that works. We're never just like, I don't know, there's this weird Terminator that shows up sometimes and then disappears. It's like, no. We know what his process is for trying to find Sarah Connor. He's going through the phone book, just methodically. He doesn't know what she looks like. He doesn't know where she is. He... happens to overhear an answering machine message from her. He doesn't even go directly to the place. Why? Because he doesn't know what she looks like still. The movie remembers Mm -hmm. what the villain actually knows and where the villain is at that point in time. Mm -hmm. He has to rummage through her drawers for a picture of her because otherwise he wouldn't know who to target at a nightclub, right? So it's like very smart filmmaking. It's showing us the villain having to do stuff, right? He gets injured in the car crash. He has to go repair his eye and his arm, which no longer work, Mm -hmm. right? Um, at the end, we have the Terminator getting blown up and all of his skin is off, so he can't really walk as well. Mm-hmm. His leg is injured already. Mm-hmm. Then he only has like half a body and he's crawling towards the thing, right? <laughs> and so like having this entire arc of the villain where the villain has all the same problems that a hero might have. He's just trying to accomplish a nefarious instead of a noble goal, right? Yes. Um, really makes this movie way more engaging. If the Terminator was just somebody who showed up occasionally and shot at you, this movie would simply not feel as tangible. It wouldn't feel as like as much like it was really happening mm-hmm. as it does when you include stumbling blocks, obstacles, setbacks for the villain. It just works way better. Just like it did with Thanos. I didn't really care for those movies, but I thought that was well done. I was like, hey, they actually put in a real 
other half of the story. It's great storytelling when you do this, and uh, Terminator is a perfect example. Yeah. No, it's it's totally true. You actually spend quite a bit more time with the villain than, you know, one might think is yeah. necessary. And but it's it should. This is it's it's actually amusingly, I think, the minimum amount you should be spending with the villain, but it's like a maximum amount yeah. in in modern sensibility. So I would say like that's that's another really great thing this movie does, and it's a perfect example of how to do that just right. You never feel like you're spending too long with Arnold, but you always feel like you have enough to understand what the Terminator is doing and why and how it's doing what it's doing, and that really just enhances the feeling of this sort of cat and mouse game that they're playing. Yep. Uh, and it, you know, when it comes together at the end, it feels great. You you don't feel like anything was cheap because mm-hmm. you know how the Terminator was finding them mm-hmm. all the time and and what sort of process he was going through and what his limitations are. There are definitely things I don't like about this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are subtle. Some of them are bigger. I would say that like some of the tone things are the bigger things. Like I, the sex scene in this movie feels really awkward and weird. Largely like the music maybe is part of that. I and don't remember the They literally play the Terminator theme. (laughs) Oh, okay. It's like a poorly rendered piano. I apologize to the person who made it. Oh, right. It's a piano thing. Yeah, It's like a poorly done piano, probably synth piano. I doubt it's actually even real piano, though I am not, my ear is not trained enough. It didn't sound like necessarily even like a real piano, but it doesn't matter. That's not the problem. The problem is just the rendition of it is very like oddly sparse and kind of feels hokey. And in general, I would say like the way it's shot is kind of, not great i don't know it just i don't know that james cameron is a master of sex scenes i guess is what i'd say he's very good at 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 action scenes and maybe these are not actiony enough for him i don't know that felt really awkward uh i would actually say that kyle reese as a performance is not great yeah Uh, he's the acting uh, that guy's just not that great of an actor i apologize again i forget what his name is i He's just not good enough for this role. I agree. I, um, I I like the like the physicality of Kyle Reese. Like I think he looks really right. He for looks the part, right for the part. Yeah, but I agree. He's his he's kind of not a good actor. He's kind <laughs> Some of, of like his Bill lines Paxton. are like. Oh, yeah, Sarah. <laughs> it's like okay. he's he's a little bit one note. Yeah, right. And yeah, it doesn't really work. I agree. Uh, and uh, so that's not great. Especially because I think everyone else in this movie is turning in a fantastic performance. Yes. I love Arnold. I love Linda, Ham- Linda Hamilton. I love the, uh, I never remember their names, but uh, the guy who plays the, the head police guy. Yep. And the guy, the guy who plays the one Khan. under the police the, guy. He's the Wrath of Khan. Uh, guy who's in Wrath of Khan. Oh, yeah. It is, he is from Wrath of Khan. And then the other guy's Bishop in Alien. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, those two guys are great too. Mm-hmm. I love their like banter together, and they well, and even like uh, Sarah Connor's roommate and the boyfriend. They're are, great. They're great. They're just uh, in a short. They, these small. The criminal roles. psychologist guy is great. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. everyone in this movie is like giving in a great performance. I mean, I mean, maybe they're not great performances, but they're at least good. Well, everyone like is when, good or great. Like you know, for, for example, the roommate and the boyfriend. Like they have such a short period of time to be yeah. established. But they are, and like you like them, yes. and when they die, you it, that makes it so much more impactful uh, and and scary than if they were just some random people who you didn't really care about. You're right. They give very, they have very little screen time to establish that they're fun people you care about, and you don't want to see them get hurt. They totally pull it off, right? They yes. they each have only a handful of lines, and they totally do 
uh, everything they need to do. So, you know, I guess I would say the Kyle Reese part's just a, it's just a bummer in that sense because it's like pretty bad performance and, you know, the movie would have been a lot better with a better performance. On the, like, minor quibble side, Mm -hmm. there's a couple, I'll just mention one. I didn't feel like the writing for Kyle Reese was necessarily where it should have been either in a couple places. I... I just say that Kyle Reese is the weak part of this yeah, movie. Is the worst way to say it. I, I so do, I see what you're saying completely because I think the idea for that character is excellent. Like it's 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 a good. I, I really like that concept. It's like we send the guy back, blah blah blah. Uh, but I do, but I do think it's like it feels like underdeveloped or like it's missing something, and and I do think there's like an awkwardness to his performance. That's I mean, and I can sort of understand intentionally like a little bit of awkwardness because this guy, the world he grew up in is like, yeah, which totally is totally messed up, and he's not going to be like a a rec- like his his social skills are not going to be super recognizable to a modern person. One hundred percent, and I think actually that's sort of part of my complaint. Yeah, is that like this is a person. So I, I think the easiest way to describe where I think the writing falls down a little bit here, um, not horribly, like I said, I love this movie. So it's not like, oh, this ruins the movie for me, right? It's mm-hmm. just like, I feel like you could have done a bit better. Is, you know, this is somebody who, you know, food is probably very scarce where they come from, right? And mm-hmm. they have well, a very... Say, physicality is great, too, because he's very, like, he's got that... That sort of like wiry, lean yeah. thing that a person who's like starving but also really yeah. like in shape would have. Right, yeah. He goes to a supermarket, doesn't bring back like any food really, or isn't really surprised by the food. I mean, if you imagine what would happen if someone from an apocalyptic future walked into a supermarket, they would be so they would have no idea what they were even looking at. They'd be like, this is the most amazing. They would at least mention it, be like, oh my God, you guys have so much food. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. And it's just like he doesn't seem at all shocked by what he sees around him, even though what he sees around him is as if you took a caveman and put them in Versailles. Like that's the difference in abundance. And so it just feels a little weird because it feels a little bit too much like he's expecting these things, but he would have no expectations. They don't have, like he said, they said they don't have really records from before the war. They don't know very much about the war. They presumably don't know what this was like very much. And it feels off. Now, I don't know how you fix that. I'm not criticizing the movie from a like, oh, you clearly would have done X. I'm sure it would have, be, would have been difficult to do that right. So maybe it's fine that they just didn't try. You could but- have had a few <clears throat> small moments of acknowledgement of that. It doesn't have to be like something major. But yeah. like you said, just a comment of like, you know, oh, there's so much food or or see him see something and or like have eating, a reaction. Like a lot of like eating it and being like, oh, my God, this is amazing. You know maybe and like i said maybe it was bad maybe that's not a great idea i don't know i just noticed that you never really get that sense to him it seems like everything's normal and that's a little weird because i know that you know according to what the story has been telling me this is not normal like it would feel yeah. very unusual to I think him the one place where i also noticed that and i once again don't know what you really do about that is like the fact that both the terminator and kyle reese know to go look in a phone book like, you know, even people today, kids today wouldn't even know <laughs> yeah. to go look in a fo- like th- that a phone book was a thing in a payphone, right? Um, 
So, I was, you know, but maybe maybe they were told, hey, this is one of the ways they communicated back then. Go find one of these. Like maybe he had some sort of prep training of all the research they were able to find. Like I could believe that. Right. I could believe that they were able to find out enough. It's like, hey, there was like a record of like maybe this is one of the ways they have records of names and stuff is because yeah, they found like I, I'm yeah. just saying right like I don't know I yeah. could believe there's a plausible thing where it's like he was prepped right like Kyle Reese was like prepped on hey here's some like basics about this time that you need to know like we never see that and we aren't necessarily even led to believe that that was a thing that happened but like I mean I get that this this story takes place over such a short period of time I mean Kyle Reese is there. I mean, he comes back and he's there for probably like a total of like, what, eight hours at most before he dies. So it's like. Yeah, it's, it's one day Like, of time I can understand elapses, him right? not thinking about food because he's so focused on saving Sarah Connor, right? So like, I can totally believe that this guy doesn't. Food's not even on his radar, right? He's so single mindedly focused. I'm just saying, like, yeah, I I just think like it it would have helped to have some acknowledgement of how different things were in that way. I agree, I agree, yeah. Um, but otherwise, yeah. So you know, I think the writing could have been a little bit better. It's really not that big of a deal, though. The bigger deal to me was the performance. I think I the the writing you can easily overlook. I mean, there's a bunch of things like that that the movie doesn't try to get right, like you know. How does a Terminator know how to operate a motorcycle? Like, it's like, I don't know, did they have motorcycle AI training well, and, built into the system? I mean, but, you know, it's like, I'm just like, ah, maybe. And so, you know, like you said with the Kyle thing, it's like, well, maybe he's just ignoring it because he doesn't want to think about that. So, you know, most of those writing things you can just kind of overlook. It's like there, right. there might be a good explanation for this and it doesn't get in the way of the movie. So it's fine. Well, and we've already It's really seen... just the performance, I think, that is the part that actually does rise to the level of something that I notice. Right. Like, like actually actively, not just like, yeah. oh, thinking about it ahead of time, it's weird that Kyle Reese didn't notice this thing. I don't notice that during the movie. Exactly. Right? I noticed that after the movie. The acting I noticed during the movie. No, I totally agree. Because, like, a lot of that, there, there's such a, the pace of stuff is so fast and things are happening so fast. Yeah. And, yeah, Kyle Reese is a soldier. He's single-mindedly focused on Sarah Connor and saving her. Like, you can totally believe that he's just not thinking about any of the other time travel stuff. Yeah. Um, and like stuff like, oh, a car, you know, like we, we've already seen. Like, they how, have cars know, how, in the future, so say, that's fine. The cars yeah. that they have in the future are just probably repurposed cars from this era anyway yeah. because the apocalypse doesn't happen that far in the future. So it's like a lot of things you can kind of believe he would already sort of know how to interact with because yeah. huma- the humanity that still exists is like using the leftovers from this current society. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I think, you know, I don't think the movie really had a lot of time to spare on things like that anyway, because I think the pace is so quick. And, well, and I don't mostly know that- it works well, right? I mean, like you said, it, they show things in the future being similar to things in, in the past. So, you know, like you said, the phone books, maybe it's like, uh, that's a little confusing, but it's like in general, right? You could believe that like, I don't know, maybe there was a motorcycle somewhere that they had that was still running and that's sure. how they studied it. Or maybe the AIs just have things in there that are just like, here's, you know, the other one I noticed about that was like, how did he know there would be a, a shotgun in the police car when Kyle Reese goes in to take a shotgun out of a police car? How do you know that would be there? Presumably they don't have police cars in the future. They're all gone. Or he if they just do, saw it in right? there. But it's like, I don't know, maybe they do. Like, maybe they, they knew that because that was just me. They do have, re- maybe in the future, there are sometimes wrecked police cars somewhere and people have known to, like, check to see if there's a shotgun in this plate, you know? So so to me, like, a lot of stuff is like, 
mm, I don't really care because like there's I can come up with reasons why that might be true. Right. So really, it's just the at the end of the day, it really just comes down to that. The acting, I feel like, could have been better there. Maybe there's some things you could have done with the writing to make it feel a little bit more like he was out of place. But again, we see the future. It's a lot like ours. There's only a couple things, maybe like the food or whatever that you would think. And the rest of the stuff, it's like, that's ah, pretty plausible. And like, yeah, maybe the AIs have records of these things. So maybe it's pretty plausible that the AIs know about the phone book. Maybe people have t- said stories mm-hmm. about phone books. So humans know about phone books. Like, yeah, you know. It can all work. And for a movie about a time loop, I find that there's, you know, uh, amazingly few things you would nitpick about it. It's actually quite clean. I think this is another thing I really love about this movie. I I love time travel in stories, but usually I find it to be frustrating um, because... It, you know, it, it introduces things that just, like, can't plausibly well, Looper. happen. Looper was horrible exactly, in that exactly. way, right? And, yeah. and this movie is great because it it it's kind of a little bit of a flawless time travel story. It just works, yeah. It just works. It's like a guy comes back and the way he interacts with things have an effect on the future. And it's this nice little neat time travel thing that I love because it's like, we get to use time travel and we don't have to be, like, irritated by it (laughs) right we get to you know we actually have a story that sort of just it's simple enough that it works with time travel and it also unlike looper doesn't openly contemplate sort of and require the things that would lead to you know paradoxes or confusing things in this movie for all we know you know people don't have free will this is just a standing structure. This is what happens in the world always. There, it's we don't have to contemplate what happens if he goes yeah, back does, and kills Sarah Connor. Because like, because that never no, happens. Yeah, it yeah. never contemplates the idea that people could have done something differently. It's like, <clears throat> in the same way that you know, if you look at a single shot of three dimensional space and say this is what it looks like at this time, if you imagine four dimensional space looks exactly the same way, just it, this is what it looks like. You can't change it. Right. At right. This and instant, I think that's the reason it works. Is that's the reason it works. It never is. Nobody does something in this plot that requires them going, oh, if I do X in the past, it will change Y in the future. Yeah. They never no, do that. Movie, and this, that's why it works. This movie has this sort of destiny feeling exactly. to it. It's like this was all <laughs> destined to happen. This is. Yes. It, was it only all... happens this way. You can't change. Exactly. It. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, I guess the you could say that, like. Maybe Sarah Connor has this image in, that she could change it. I mean, but I think... That's fine as long as she actually can't, right? Right, right. Uh, and I mean, I think in it's that belief that allows her to do the things that allow John Connor yes. to... Right, like she she decides to drive off to like Mexico or whatever and then has her son and trains him to be this way because I feel like she thinks that there's something she can do. And that thinking about that is what makes the future happen. So it's like Exactly. It's all it's all set in stone. It really doesn't raise this movie does not raise any time travel questions it doesn't have answers for. And I think that's the important part, right? It's like yeah. you can raise as many questions as you want, but you have to have an answer. And in this one it's just like we're not going to ask any questions. This is a thing that happens. It cannot happen any other way. It happens exactly this way. And when you do a time loop like that, it's just plausible because all you have to do is assume that people don't have free will and we're done. People, this is exactly what will happen. No matter how many times you replay this, this is what will happen and only this. Yeah. And it works great. I really don't have any, you know, like my my programmer brain has really no problem with anything that happens. It seems very reasonable. That's rare for a time travel movie. For a Hollywood time travel movie, that's very rare. Yeah, definitely. I don't know how much more I have to say. I mean, the music is obviously really classic, also really weird and interesting. It's in, in like a the lot weirdest of places, time signature ever. The music works really well in some places and really poorly in others, I guess is what I'd say. 
Uh, I love the music, the main theme, and where it's typically used. Mm-hmm. But like I said, like in the love scene, it was just awful. Um, so I don't know. I I'm, I have mixed feelings about the music. Great in some places. I mean, so good. It, it's like iconic in yeah, some it's places. Iconic, Other yeah. places, I'm like, uh, that was not great. And so you know, overall, like I said, it doesn't ruin the movie or anything when it does that. But it's it's only a few places like that have that. But it's a bit off. So yeah, overall, I really love this movie. Yeah, it's it's probably one of James Cameron's best movies. I would say that like he his sweet spot was for me anyway was kind of like Terminator, Aliens, and Abyss mm-hmm. are probably like mm-hmm. like absolute gold standard James Cameron for me. I really like Titanic too. Titanic's like okay. I would say that like Terminator Two, Titanic. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's any other good ones true lies i think is kind of just bad but uh terminator 2 and titanic are like fine but not great uh they don't they don't quite hit the same high notes as these those three to me there's a lot of nitpicks i would have with something like titanic and mm-hmm. it's just kind of overly long and i don't know there's a lot of things i don't love about that movie S- same with um terminator 2 it's like there's some really great stuff in terminator 2 um, really brilliant stuff in there, but there's also a lot more negatives, I feel like. Whereas I feel yeah, like yeah. Terminator 1 and Aliens, especially, are like nearly flawless. Mm-hmm. It's really kind of remarkable. I think it's kind of almost like if the the bigger budget James Cameron got, the worse the movies got somehow. I feel like this is a thing um, that I've seen with other directors, too. It's like the limitations of a small budget, like the 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 creativity that sort of forces you to have... For some directors, it really brings out the best in their in their skills. This is one thing that we we laud Steven Spielberg often on this podcast. Uh, that's one thing I think you would also say about him that's so remarkable is like budget seems to have no effect on his filmmaking. It's like if you gave him ten million dollars or you gave him two hundred million dollars, he will basically make a film almost the same way. Just it just gets more polished or whatever but he's never like his bigger budget movies don't feel any worse than his smaller budget movie he just that might have changed in you know? modern times there's definitely some of his uh that i haven't seen that okay. weren't super well like the some of the more cg heavy ones like ready player one and like some of that stuff. i should say non like directing a cg movie is very different than directing a real movie yeah. so I, I would i would i'm talking about things that have a camera yeah 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 right um, and you know, it's just, you don't see, you, you don't see him getting worse as he got more budget. He just kind of, if anything mm-hmm. gets better, you know, uh, he uses it. Right. And so I feel like that's kind of cool too. It wasn't like, Oh, this person can only make small films. I just think whatever. there's, there's a handful of directors who really shine at low budgets. The other one would be John Carpenter. Yes. Halloween was a masterpiece in low budget filmmaking. I don't know yeah. how, when I looked up the budget for that movie, I was like, Holy cow. Yeah, And I think James Cameron's in a similar kind of category where i feel like there's some directors who really just shine yeah. at lower budgets and if you gave them more they might actually get slightly worse i don't know about john carpenter but i don't know that he's ever been given the opportunity yeah. to direct yeah. a 120 never, million dollar never, movie it's hard to compare because james cameron went to being one of the, the like, highest of like high literally budget the highest yeah. budget filmmaker ever so yeah. it's like it's true like john yeah. carpenter isn't really comparable completely but, but i know for example Big Trouble in Little China obviously had a multiples 
of larger, mm-hmm. like a a a pa- order of magnitude larger budget or two than uh, mm-hmm. than uh, Halloween, because Halloween I think was literally something like three hundred thousand dollars. So yeah, uh, but but it's I I would say that's definitely true. There are directors who are so skilled that they can they can make magic out of nothing, and that's pretty awesome. Yeah, it and, is. And uh, Terminator is just a great example of one of those sort of movies that's got some magic to it. Like Steven Spielberg, James Cameron also seems to make bad movies when they are rendered in a computer. It sure does seem that way. (laughs) Don't give these men computers. Don't let them have the computers. Please don't. Anyway. They should be shooting on film forever. (laughs) Don't give them. Yeah, I say what you want about Christopher Nolan. I don't think you're ever going to see him direct, you know, cats with cg rendered cats in it right i doubt it like that is not going to happen because he has some freaking dignity um but yeah like it it's not great sometimes sometimes i think there maybe is something to be said for tangible filmmaking for certain people some people get animation and other people don't and so while we're on the james cameron topic i feel like this is a good opportunity to talk about next month's movie theme please so we've decided that we're going to do a month of new releases okay. next month. And one of those movies will be James Cameron's newest film, Avatar colon The Way of Water. I hated the first Avatar movie, and I'm quite certain I will hate this Avatar movie because these movies are terrible. Yes. <laughs> so this is just going to be me complaining for an hour-long podcast. Hope you enjoy it. That's right. So anyway, our our schedule coming up here, um, so starting next week, which is technically not next month, but we're counting as next month, is going to be Air, which is Ben Affleck directed. Well, isn't Avatar going to be the free one, though? Yes, but this... Oh, so it's it's Avatar and then Air. No, 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 it's Air and then Avatar, because we have one more week in June that we decided to fill in with a new release. Oh, wow, okay. You're pulling some fancy scheduling here, aren't you? Yeah, well, it's like our... our, We usually just do four movies per theme, because most months are four weeks, but every once in a while you get a five in there. Yeah. Um, So we're going to do Air, and then our free episode will be Avatar The Way of Water. Okay. And then we're going to do... Puss in Boots, The mm. Last Wish. The last one. The Fablemans. And we're going to end with the newest of new releases, because it will come out one week before the podcast airs, Oppenheimer. Uh, I'm so nervous about that I one. I know. I'm I know. so nervous about that one, because I really want that movie to be good. We'll I see. I really, really want that movie to be good. Well, and I just don't know. I don't know if it will be. But we're going to talk about it the week it comes out. That's going to be our like most yeah our most up to date po- our most up to date podcast we've ever done. So uh, we'll post the schedule. There'll be a post with with the official schedule and the dates and stuff. Um, but yeah, so that's going to be July new releases. So we hope to see you there. Hope to see everyone there. So until then, we'll see you on the internet. Take it easy, everybody. <laughs>